Inspiring solutions to save America one show at a time. Are you ready to get on board? They believe that they can they can destroy this bond that exists between you and Trump if they somehow make Trump look bad, make Trump look like a reprobate, embarrass you about Trump. They can't do it because you came before Trump desperately want Trump gone, and I I know that they desperately want it codified, that Trump cannot run again, because make no mistake, they remain scared to death of you, and they remain scared to death of Trump. Uh, Trump, 75 million, 80 million votes, and I'm going to tell you, you're not going anywhere. Even if Trump does, you're not which I think remains one of our big campaign strengths going forward. They can't separate you from Trump. And more importantly, they can't separate you from the ideas. They can't separate you from MAGA. They can't separate you from Make America Great Again. From sea to shining sea, three hours of bold truth and excellence. The Wendy Bell Radio Program. Welcome back. Hour number three of the Wendy Bell Radio Program. Thanks for being a part of what we do here. You know, I, I think critically often about places in the in the world I don't know much about. Because it's easier in foreign lands for us to get lost in the weeds and not pay attention to the the suck of our government. And I think we all followed along with this war in Ukraine. I was amazed at how everybody fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. And I don't mean that it's not a war. I don't mean that it's not serious. I don't mean that there's not tragedy. It's war. Nobody gets into a war thinking it's going to be easy. It's terrible. And the collateral damage always is on the people. It's not the people who are calling the shots, who are insulated by and large. It's the folks in the countryside. It's the folks in the city who are killed because war sucks. I find it so interesting that the left, these are the hippies of the 60s, right? ostensibly weren't they these anti-war people right the people who were fueled by government power overreach kent state the people who did sit-ins total anti-war philosophy all of a sudden now something wild has happened and and it's hard to understand like how did this How did this metamorphosis take place? This is more than er emerging from a cocoon as a totally different creature. It's crazy. We don't get any receipts. We don't ever get updates. Certainly not updates you would believe because it's all propaganda BS, which is disturbing. It's disgusting, and it makes me angry because that was my chosen field until I awaken someday and and realize that the media suck, and I can't be a part of that. 
I want to read you this story because it's going to open up your eyes. This is from this gentleman. His name is uh, Jordan Schachtel. And he has a substack called The Dossier. In fact, I don't know if it's the substack, but it is it's an article that you can get. And we found this. Brock sent it to me this morning and he's exactly right. And this deserves to be said. We ought not be propping up an authoritarian government, a tyrannical leader, if we are actually worried about threats to democracy. If we are actually worried about the last election ever. Because Zelensky, with his magic wand yesterday, decided to postpone indefinitely, who knows till when, the presidential election, which is slated for in Ukraine next month. His five-year term is up. He's up for re-election. It should be up to the people of Ukraine to say this is the path we want to go or this is not the path we want to go. Well, he's decided for them. Now, now it's too dangerous. I need to stay in power. Does that sound democratic to you? Does that sound like something Americans would get behind? Does that sound like something all of the hippies of the 60s should get behind? Because they, they do, which is just baffling to me. Here's your story. A very significant political event occurred in Ukraine earlier this month, and almost nobody noticed. President Vladimir Zelensky, the leader of the war-torn country, just received approval from his parliament to extend martial law another 90 days. There have been many parliamentary extensions of the wartime mandate, but this one carried special significance because the 2024 presidential elections in Ukraine were scheduled for March 31st, 2024, coinciding with the end of Zelensky's five-year term. Now that martial law is in place to cover that time period, Ukraine's presidential elections have been canceled indefinitely. Think about that. Now, where is Dan Goldman? Where is Nancy Pelosi? Hey, Jamie Raskin, shouldn't you be upset about this? Because this is what you squawk about here in the United States, alleging that that's what Donald Trump is doing. So stupid. There's currently no date set yet for the next election. And this is, um, this is really going to be terrible. Because lawmakers in Parliament have failed to even entertain the matter. Well, it sounds like everybody's kind of corrupt, is it not? It sounds like that to me. Of course, now I'm getting up against a paywall here. There we go. While it's not particularly unreasonable to want to postpone elections during a devastating war, the case of Ukraine deserves a closer examination given the series of events leading up to this decision to extend martial law. In November, a former Zelensky advisor named Oleski Aristovich announced he's going to be challenging Zelensky for the presidency, promising to focus on a negotiated settlement to end the war with Russia. To end the war with Russia. Aristovich was fiercely critical of Zelensky's approach to the conflict, maintaining that a settlement was in the best interests of Ukrainians. Far from a pro-Moscow shill, the Russian government has an active arrest warrant out for him. Yet just days after his announcement, Ukraine's national police force, under the direction of the Zelensky government, launched a criminal investigation against Aristovich. Are they contacting the Democratic Party here, the, the establishment of suck here in the United States? Some of them, you've gone after Donald Trump. Maybe we could do that, too. 
Furthermore, over the course of the devastating war, the Ukrainian government has continually centralized power to the point that no trace of a representative democracy currently exists in the country. Zelensky has repeatedly sicked his national police on any and all current and former Ukrainian officials who depart from the accept accepted narrative of the war, which essentially amounts to fighting Russia to the very last Ukrainian if necessary. Virtually every dissident from the former war narrative ends up on the wrong side of a corruption investigation or worse. All opposition parties have been removed from the parliament. Think about that. That's like carving out every Republican. And all non-state media has been banned from the airwaves. Silencio! The paranoia-infused government has even signed into law a measure to ban all new Russian books from being imported into the country. Ukraine's 2024 election served as the last means of restoring accountability for a government hell-bent on advancing a strategy of geopolitical bleh, continuing to force its countrymen to wage war against a much more powerful neighbor. Under the cover of this fog of war, the Ukrainian government has transformed into a totalitarian dictatorship, losing the moral high ground it once maintained with the public at the beginning of hostilities. When the war finally ends, the Ukrainian people will have to find a way to restore some semblance of the constitutional order that has been shattered in just two years time. Now, how, how is that any different than the abject warfare that the Uniparty, the progressive socialist Marxist communist left of suck has launched on We the People. They don't want you to hear dissenting opinions. In fact, big tech tries and goes out of its way and has for years now to silence those of us who merely want to ask questions. You're not allowed to do that. Get in line, obey, acquiesce to every request and shut the hell up. Does this sound like a government we should be propping up? Does it sound like that's a guy we should be given, giving hundreds of billions of dollars to when we know he's getting his rump handed to him and that the carnage in the countryside is breathtaking? And we also know that we know that there had been a a peace deal, a negotiation before this whole thing even started. That the Biden administration sent Boris Johnson in to, to basically incinerate. And, and knowing all of this, are you still going to be conned into the emotion of, oh, poor Ukraine. Nobody wants to see what's going on to their people. But I firmly stand here and say funding a totalitarian who has just eliminated democratic elections is not in the best interest of the United States of America. But I'm probably just a Putin puppet, right? Hey, when we come back, when we read this story about this emergency martial law thing and no more elections, I got a little weird feeling in my stomach. It's very familiar if you're in the land before time. 
a little flashback for Pennsylvanians next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. So this this whole narrative that Mike Benz outlined for us in those two sound bites at the beginning or at the at the end of the last show, it opens the door to the playbook. You're aware of the playbook. You need to create an excuse to cheat. And your cheating is to prevent democracy's collapse. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Well, when I look at what Zelensky is doing, declaring martial law in Ukraine so as to push back, who knows if ever, the presidential elections, which were slated for the end of next month, so he can remain in power forever, which is exactly what these Democrats are saying and pants on fire worrying about Donald Trump. You know, Pennsylvania already lived through this. We lived in a a very specific microcosm of suck during COVID that I hope a lot of you did not. Because it was particularly oppressive in this Commonwealth. And it was oppressive because of Tom Wolf, who was the governor of the state before Josh Shapiro of suck moved in. When you have people who are easily intoxicated by the magic wand, these are people for whom the spotlight is like a miracle grow for their ego. Bad crap happens. And it happened in Pennsylvania. And I dredged up this article from The Federalist. Pennsylvania voters fight back against power-hungry governor abusing emergency powers. Don't tell us that this is what Donald Trump wants to do. Don't tell us that he's going to seek revenge, that he's all about retribution. And when he, if he gets back into office, it's going to be untenable because we've already lived by it. And I'm going to give you a little sampling of that. Before the COVID-19 outbreak, state sovereignty was viewed as a check on federal encroachment. Americans welcomed this limit on centralized power. But amid the ongoing panic, the coercive effects of unbridled executive authority are on display in the states themselves. This authoritarian streak is evident in New York, California, and Michigan. And the author says, my home state, Pennsylvania, where Democratic Governor Tom Wolf's shutdown orders enforced through emergency powers have flung economic shrapnel. This guy had his own freaking goon squad to knock on family-owned business doors and freaking shake them down. And if I saw Tom Wolf, it would take every fiber of my soul to not go right up to him and punch him in the face. Wolf's restrictions, some of the most draconian in the country, have inflicted the Keystone State's communities with mass unemployment, social disorder, widespread despair, and overall economic decline. Other states should view Pennsylvania's course as an alarming model for how their own governors and local officials can seize unlimited emergency executive government governance, just like Zelensky just did. In response to Wolf, Pennsylvanians, beginning with their representatives in the state's General Assembly, are pursuing a voter-driven remedy that could serve as a national model. A constitutional amendment placed before voters this year would check a governor's unilateral, indefinite emergency powers. Now, look, the reason I share this with you, we were on the air. 
We were employed by a radio station during COVID. And every day in the afternoon drive from three to six, I spoke the truth. We took phone calls from businesses all across Pennsylvania for, for whom the goons were sent. They threatened their liquor licenses. They threatened their occupancy permits. permits. They threatened everything about them until enough businesses said, suck it. It's either you or it is me. My livelihood, my heart and soul, my blood, sweat and tears, my sacrifice. You do not deserve the wand of destruction. And they fought back. And it was a struggle that we chronicled day after day after day. Until I was fired for doing so. The interesting thing when you push back against tyranny, when you call out obvious fraud, when you see through the pretenders and you open up the playbook and see how familiar it is, you become public enemy number one. And you know what's really great about that? Public enemy number one is always on to something. If we weren't, they would leave us alone. There's a consistency in messaging, though, that comes from Donald Trump. And I didn't realize how long it's been so consistent until I found a clip from 1980 that I've got to play for you. Donald Trump as a 34-year-old man being interviewed about why he wasn't interested in being president. Oh boy, <laughs> don't go anywhere. I got it for you next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. I didn't realize how hungry America was until I was invited to my first Trump rally here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, not far from the airport. We had on our local congressman on the radio show, and he sent me a text later in the afternoon and asked if I wanted to go to the rally. President Trump was flying into town. Did I want to go? Of course I want to go. He said, I have one ticket, one ticket. And I said, that's fine. I have no problem going places by myself. I would love to have the opportunity to experience it. I worked in a liberal environment. Media is oppressively liberal. I wanted to be around like-minded people. I wanted to see the president. And so I said, thank you very much. He transferred the, you know, email to me. I went out to some park and ride lot, park my car, hop on one of these, hopped on one of these little shuttles. And it dropped me off at this big, um, looks like an airport hangar, almost. 
And they had the whole stage. You guys have seen it. They've got the big the big monitors. They've got all the flags, the risers, everything, and all the seats, the, the uh, bleachers. So you get dropped off, and you got to walk in, and you know there's long lines, et cetera, et cetera. And the line had been, I, it was... It was a mile long. It was crazy. And so somebody recognized me right away and they looked at my ticket and they said, oh, you've got um, your executive, your VIP. And I'm like, oh, this is a VIP ticket. Oh, that's nice. Now, it's embarrassing because you get escorted to the very front of the line. It's like you're at Disney and you've got like the ultra fast lane plus and you walk by everybody and you're like, sorry. But that's what happened. It was on that long walk just to get up to security. It took me 15 minutes to make it down that line. The minute somebody spotted me, I'm obviously a Pittsburgh personality. P- people knew who I was. There was this, this wave of, of support of people screaming my name. Wendy, come here. Let me take a picture. Wendy, thank you for what you do. Wendy, wh-. it was wild. I so was not expecting that. Blindsided me. And it just continued. I walked into the main area after going through security and literally everybody who was there had felt like stopped, turned around, looked at me and went, oh, it was madness. I was mobbed. I can't imagine being Donald Trump. I was mobbed, mobbed. And it was something I will never forget. Now, is it because I'm such a fantastic person that everybody wanted to, to take a picture with me? I'd love to believe that. But it was because I speak the truth. It was because I share the story of America. It is because I represent how you feel every day. As I sit here, it does not change. It's not open for debate. It's not negotiable. It is what it is, and it is 100%. That is what I got when I listened to this 1980s snippet of an interview with Donald Trump. He was 34 years old. And this is this is the election of Ronald Reagan, is it not? 1980, isn't that Reagan? So Donald Trump is being asked by a woman. Her name is Rona Barrett, and she's a gossip columnist. She's a businesswoman. She's interviewing Donald Trump, 34-year-old businessman, about why he's not going to run for president. And he's the same guy 42 years ago that he is today. He, He hasn't been bought. He hasn't been manipulated. He hasn't changed. And it's so refreshing to hear. And I want you to listen to this. It's only a couple minutes, but I want you to hear this. This is what America is hungry for. This is the kind of feeling we'll stand in line for hours in the freezing cold before the sun even rises to to pack ourselves shoulder to shoulder next to strangers who feel oddly familiar to listen to Donald Trump speak. It's important. So here is 1980, 34-year-old Donald Trump. For some people, the ultimate goal in life 
uh, has been becoming the President of the United States. Would you like to be the President of the United States? I really don't believe I would, Rona, but I would like to see somebody as the President who could do the job, and there are very capable people in this country. Most people who are capable are not running for office. It, Most men are frightened of politics today. It is a shame, isn't it? Yes. It is a shame. The most capable people are not necessarily running for political office, and that is a very sad commentary on the country. They had major corporations, and they had this and that, but they are not running for political office. Why wouldn't someone like yourself run for political office? You have all the money that you possibly need. You've accomplished a great deal, even though you are only 34. I know there's a lot of things that you possibly can do in the years ahead. Why wouldn't you dedicate yourself to public service? Because I think it's a very mean life. I, I would love and I would, I would dedicate my life to this country, but I see it as being a mean life. And I also see it as somebody with strong views and somebody with the kind of views that are maybe a little bit unpopular, which may be right, but may be unpopular, wouldn't necessarily have a chance of getting elected against somebody with no great brain but a big smile. And that's a sad commentary for the political process. Television, in a strange way, has ruined that process, hasn't it? It's hurt the process very much. I mean, the Abraham Lincolns of the world. Abraham Lincoln would probably not be electable today because of television. He was not a handsome man, and he did not smile at all. He would not be considered to be a prime candidate for the presidency. And that's a shame, isn't it? But if all the men are like you, then when are we going to get somebody who might be good? I don't know. I hope it's around the corner, but I don't know. I really don't know. What I would like to be involved in is trying to help choose somebody or working with a group of people whereby they put up a candidate who would be acceptable to be a presidential, you know, uh, to, to be the president. The country, if we had the one man, and it's really not that big a situation. You know, people say, well, what could anybody do as president? The one man could turn this country around. The one proper president could turn this country around. I firmly believe that. You think there is one man? There is one man that can turn this country around. I could tell you I know a number of people that would be excellent presidents. I will not tell you who they are, but I know a number of people that could be excellent presidents of this country. But they are not running for political office. They're not in political office. They're extraordinarily brilliant. They're very, very competent. Uh, they're leaders, they, uh, they have the respect of everybody, and they would be fabulous presidents, but they're not running for political office, and I think that's very sad. And I think you said it. Maybe television is the thing that most hurt the political process in this country. If you lost your fortune today, what would you do tomorrow? Maybe I'd run for president. <laughs> I don't know. You mean you think you have to be uh, bankrupt? <laughs> Uh, with not a dime in your pocket in order to uh, be a, a good president? No, I'm only kidding. You know, when I say that, of course, I'm being somewhat facetious. But I have to tell you, a lot of people would vote for you if you were in that position because they'd feel sorry for you. And again, I think that's a very sad commentary. I think that's a very sad commentary. Yet every man who's aspired to the White House in recent years has been a millionaire and better. Well, that could be, but I don't consider millionaires and better. You know, Plains, Georgia, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a millionaire or better. I really look at I really look at a person's mind and his own individual competence, not necessarily his wallet. Now, that's been out there for 42 years. How relevant today. Why would you not run for president? Because it's a very mean life. In 1980... He knew that. 
could he have possibly fathomed how mean, how punitive, how vengeful, how corrupt? And when you listen to that, his voice certainly is, is different as all of our voices are as we age. But he's the same guy. Too often it's the person who can smile big for the camera who gets the job. But they're not the ones running the show anyway. As, as Vladimir Putin told Tucker Carlson, it's not your leaders who are leading. It's the people behind them. It's the financial institutions who are doing all of this. So I think we are getting to this fever pitch. The, the, the pitchforks out, the torches lit, the swamp angry, ready to rampage, no matter what, no matter who gets trampled, no matter the consequence. They are rabid. And one of the greatest things that Donald Trump has said, they want to say he's going to take revenge. And you know what revenge is? The greatest revenge, he says. My revenge will be success. Winning. What more do you need to say? You want to tell me that it's neck and neck with him and anybody else out there? Of course not. And everything that you and I have had to sit through, every tyrannical move by an authoritarian leader, every media headline of suck, which was in, intended to persuade you to do something specific, it's all been purposeful, period. All right, so we've got, this is very rare, very rare moment on this program, I've got to say. Two libs of the week. And we'll leave it to the folks on the live stream on the Wendy Bell Radio Network app to decide who wins next. You know, I was uh, thinking about these rallies it has to gall the people on the left <laughs> that that folks from all over the the country will will wait patiently uh, happily uh, they don't complain they don't argue there's not fights there's no garbage left behind certainly not in the three or four things that i've been to where trump was the headliner it's just you know what it is it's uh, remington moving from new york to georgia it's going somewhere where you feel welcome where, of course, in the southern climates, you, you see the sun and, and you feel it on your face. And, and there's a smell in the air and there is a gentility and a kindness. And, and Republican cities and states have issues. I'm not saying they don't, but there's a different vibe. You feel it. It doesn't need to be described. That's what it's like at one of these rallies. They've got to hate that because they don't have that. They have hate and they have division and they have racism and they have war and they have spending and they have overreach and they have corruption and they've got 
corrupted science and they've got terrible test scores with children and they've got all of it. They own all of it. It's got it must suck to be a Democrat. Full full stop. That does not disqualify these people, though, from being libs of the week. (laughs) And we've got two. We have two for you to choose from. One is a is a crazy woman who, uh, well, who knows if she's crazy? She just seems triggered, and that might be crazy in my mind. And the other is Brock's girlfriend, Karine Jean-Pierre. So without further ado, let's get our jingle. Time now for the Wendy <laughs> Bell Radio Programs. Oh, love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Liberal of the week. You know, I think it's important. There's a long list of folks who are candidates, but not everybody pushes it over the finish line. <laughs> so this woman here, she's talking about the trucker protest in New York. And uh, and she's very annoyed by the trucker protest. And she just wants those truckers out there to know, you know, you're not that important. I don't know who you people think you are, but uh, you're replaceable. And uh, good luck with that, she said. So here's here's option number one, if you're voting at least mentally on our who's going to win liberal of the week. Here you go. Truckers, do you actually think you're irreplaceable? Like this is capitalist America. (laughs) You think that corporations are going to sit idly by while you boycott New York and affect their bottom line? (laughs) No way. They will always find somebody else to do your job if you won't do it. Maybe even an immigrant. Oh, no. So go ahead and protest. There's always somebody else waiting in the wings for your job. Oh, a little great replacement theory going on there. I thought that was just a myth. We're not bringing in these people to do other people's jobs. We're not squeezing you out of your of your environments. We're not moving you out of your rec centers so migrants can sleep on cots on the basketball court floor. We're not doing that. She she strikes me as an actress, to be perfectly honest with you, because she plays the part beautifully. She's got the facial, uh, you know, the disdain for you. She's got the vocal um, accompaniment with her, you know, her, her just talking down at you, it's going to be hard. So that's number one. All right? Number one. Number two is uh, is a special slice of crazy. This is Corinne Jean-Pierre. She's being asked about the story we spoke about yesterday, this flood, this 4,000% increase of Chinese nationals, the majority adult single men at the border at California. Uh, what about that, Corrine? This is kind of alarming. Why do we have all sorts of Chinese people coming into our country now? This is, here you go. This is number two. More than 20,000 Chinese migrants have illegally crossed the southern border in 2024, and the vast majority, according to the National Border Patrol Council president, have been single men of of military age. What kind of national security issue is this, given China's hacking of U.S. infrastructure, the uh, spying that they do, and the other aggressions? So look, we take that very seriously, what's happening at the border. Everybody, uh, we try to uh, make sure that, um, uh, uh, you know, as it it relates to... um, uh, unlawful unlawful uh, crossings uh, we certainly uh, do everything that we can uh, to make sure uh, that that uh, uh, that we deal with that in a real way oh my goodness oh my goodness i wanted to do an ah counter but I, there's only so many t- so many hours in a day brock i can't i can't give you carpal tunnel <laughs> counting the number of times that she does that so that was number 2 we're going to let you on live stream on the Wendy Bell Radio Network app you're going to decide Tell, tell me, Brock, what people are saying. I know what my vote is for. So th- there's Corrine Jean-Pierre, right? 
She represents the very, it's not even mediocrity. It's the abject failure of people in their chosen roles who were never chosen to be extraordinary. It seems like KJP is going to take the title. I'm, I'm totally banking on it. See, I think it's the other one. She's just... Triggered. Yes. There's triggered and then there's the dullard. And it's, you know, sometimes we go back and forth. This is going to go back to what I said at the very beginning in the opening monologue. Whatever you do that, that allows you to dream, and it doesn't have to be affordable. It doesn't have to be realistic. It doesn't even have to be in this galaxy. They want to take that from you. They want that kind of answer to a question. It's a very simple question. The answer should be immediate. It shouldn't be stonewalled and stalled. She shouldn't be furiously flipping through her binder, trying to find the right tab to answer questions about Chinese nationals at the border. They want you to believe that that's the new normal. Everything's got to be gummed up. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be slow. It's going to be predictably disappointing. That is your wildest dream. That's as good as it's going to get. And by golly, you better like it because it's all we're giving you. Or you listen to the same voice who's believed in the same things, who's felt this way about this country the same way you and I since the beginning. Yes, indeed, as Donald Trump said, my revenge will be success and making America great again. Thanks for being here. Come on back tomorrow on the Wendy Bell Radio program. Love you guys. Peace.